Hi, everyone. It's a new episode of Three Makes Baby, and I am here with a guest named Freya. She, I'm going to let her tell you more about herself, but she was so kind. She, we were going to do this a couple of weeks ago, and then I got the worst cold ever, and we rescheduled. And so thank you so much, Freya, for doing that. And I would love to, for you to tell everyone about yourself. Um, and well, first of all, I'll tell you all that's listening that I, I basically kind of connected with Freya on Instagram because there was a lot of conversation happening a couple of weeks ago around donor conception. And I saw something she posted and honestly, I can't remember which post it is now, but it really, I thought I've got to reach out to her and, and learn more about, um, your perspective. So, um, and now I just realized I probably should have asked you what your pronoun is as well. Hey, is she, her? Yeah. Okay. So I didn't screw that one up. (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. Very good. Awesome. Well, let, yeah. Tell me more about yourself. Um, so I'm Freya. Um, I'm from the UK. Um, I am donor conceived. I have two mums. Um, they used a donor in the nineties, um, an anonymous sperm donor, um, to conceive me. And I have then gone on. Um, I came out myself when I was 14 as queer, um, Mm -hmm. and got married in 2016 to my wife. Um, and last year we had our daughter, um, and we conceived, our daughter birdie um via a donor sperm um Mm. so obviously we've kind of gone at it from both angles um yes and yeah it's been um a unique experience and I've started sort of writing to try and gather all of that information really and and that personal knowledge together really you know it correct me if I'm wrong but I feel like when I first reached out to you I just, I like what you had to say, but I had no idea like who you were. I didn't know anything. (laughs) And so your, your, the depth of your story must've just came through somehow. I, you, you are such a, in such a unique position because of your experience. And especially because of what we're, we've been talking about lately on social media. We've been talking more for those that don't have a social media account and just listen to the podcast. There's been a lot coming up. Um, uh, it's been hitting, hitting the media conversations about donor conception. Um, mm. There's been donor conceived representation at the ASRM, which is a conference uh, that here in the United States that is hosted. It's basically the board that puts forth ethics and guidelines for endocrinologists um, and then on top of that, I've been in constant communication with a lady named Jenna Jaffe, who is um, going to be co-authoring a book of Three Makes Baby, uh, but that is LGBTQ plus friendly, and that is adapted um, to be, you know, Three Makes Baby is heteronormative, so we want to have a book that's available for for the community. So, so much is just happening out there. And then, you know, maybe that's how we cross paths is because that conversation's really been coming up a lot more. Mm. Um, and I don't, are you, do you follow Jenna? Um, I don't, but after I saw you um, speak about her at some point, I've, I've sort of started following her now. Oh yeah. Um, because yeah, no, it's fascinating and it's, it's important, I think to be done. Definitely. Yeah. Good. Yeah. And I think that's also important because 
when we're speaking about the topic of donor conception and parenting is that everyone, there's such unique and different um, perspectives. And we want to really be respectful and honor the uniqueness of different families. And I know that a lot of times it's important for LGBTQ plus to hear from another um, person with that same lived experience. And so the fact that you had, you know, you were raised by two moms and then, and you and your wife are, have had a child through donor sperm, you have completely experienced it from, you know, as a child and now as an adult. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. And I think, um, I think that there aren't, there aren't many of us out there. That's there right, are definitely yeah. a few of us, but there aren't many. <laughs> no, there really aren't. And so hearing from you is really important. What did you, when you used donor sperm, was it anonymous, unknown, unknown? What I know in um, the UK so it's, it's... Um, open identity, um, identity release. So mm-hmm. my daughter will be able to contact her donor when she turns 18. Okay. Yeah. And that's through the UK donation program. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was through a clinic in the UK. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then did you, was there a long wait list for you? Because that's been the kind of the, I guess that's what people have said since I've been doing this is that there can be a really long wait list in the UK. Um, well, we went private in the end. Um, okay. If we had gone via the NHS, there is, I think there is a two year waiting list potentially. Um okay from speaking to others that are going through it that way, but we ended up going privately. Um, Mm -hmm. And we're incredibly lucky because we, we used IUI and were successful the first time. So the costs were kept considerably down. Mm -hmm. Um, If it had taken a few goes, it might've been that we would have had to gone back to the NHS and asked for, for assistance with that. Um, Mm -hmm. But we were, we were lucky in that, (laughs) that respect. Yeah. And when, since you were, you grew up donor conceived, did you, know anything about your donor I'm sorry not about your donor about your parents donor yeah so um I don't mind using my donor I tend to, okay. to call him my donor I know a lot of donor because people don't um but I grew up saying my donor um but I know when I was conceived it was um anonymous lifelong anonymity for sperm donors um that law didn't change until 2005 um so no, I, I grew up very much knowing I'd never know my donor. Um, but I didn't really have much of an issue with that. Um, I was always curious about siblings and I knew that was a possibility when I turned 18. Um, so that was definitely more my focus when I was growing up. I didn't really have much interest in in getting to know about my donor. I, I had the basic information of hair colour, eye colour and occupation. And that was kind of enough for me for most of my life, really. Yeah. And then still to this day, do you still feel that way? Um, Well, I had the um, sort of bizarre luck of finding my donor through a genealogy website a year ago. Oh, wow. Um, So that was not something I was setting out to do when I signed up for Um, Mm Ancestry.com. I was just purely doing it as a Christmas present. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, and I kind of maybe hoped I'd find some siblings. Actually, that was that was a possibility. but when it first came back, it was all kind of third, fourth cousins. And um, I kind of forgot about it until I got an email saying that someone is, was a second cousin. And I was like, oh, that's a little bit closer than I've, than I've been getting. Mm-hmm. Um, and we sort of set to trying to find out where we were related. But I said from the get go, you know, um, I don't know half of my DNA. So I won't know if, if we're connected on that side. I'm not going to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
this woman turned around and said, oh, I think I know who your dad is. I mean, not the correct terminology, but that's what yeah. she said in an email. She said, I think I know who your dad is. And then she vanished. Um, oh. And I didn't get back from her for a while. And I, I forgot because I was heavily pregnant and I didn't really care, to be honest. I wasn't thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought she was bluffing as well. I thought there's no way that someone that's a second cousin is going to know who my donor is. Um, and then I got an email in the middle of the night from her saying, my my um, guess was correct. I got him to do a paternity t- uh, a oh. DNA test. Um, here you go, and gave me his email um, purely out of the blue. So it was it was really unexpected. Um, wow! But since then we've we've connected and we've met up a few times and we've got a lovely kind of growing relationship, which is not something I ever expected to have. Really? Yeah. Did you? So did you email him? I did yeah um I think I waited a day and then sort of composed myself and sent him an email um and he sent a very lovely eloquent one back (laughs) yeah was it nerve-wracking was it exciting was it both it was a bit of both really I um I I think I rewrote it quite a few times um and then decided to just go for it and I think my first sentence was saying I know that you signed up for lifelong anonymity so Mm -hmm. I do understand if you have no interest in in speaking um and I didn't want to go in there kind of ambushing him because really I had to respect the fact that even whether it's right or wrong that's how he had signed up to do this you know 26 years ago um Mm -hmm. and there might be absolutely no interest on his behalf on contacting me and I, I was at peace with that so I kind of wanted to make sure he knew that from the start mm-hmm. um, but even though he came back he, he said he was very shocked to find out he had any offspring and I thought that was bizarre because I thought I said to my wife what did he think he was doing when he was donating sperm I know, right? <laughs> um, but but I think it took him a little bit of time to get his head around the fact that not only did I exist but he had others out there that I could put him in contact with. Um, mm. Yes, I think it was, it took him longer than me to come around to the idea, really. Did it. Yeah, I think sometimes young guys back then, especially just almost thought of it like donating plasma or blood. Definitely, yeah. yeah. He, he told me he was purely doing it to pay the rent, um, which I respected really. <laughs> I think um, it was, he was a student and he needed a bit of extra cash and, and that was how it was put to him in those days. It was mm-hmm. very much, you'll have no contact at all with these children um, and here you go, here's a check, see you later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and now it's changing quite a bit. So, it is, yeah. yeah. Thankfully. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thankfully. So what did you, um, growing up, what was it like? Were you, I know you said you weren't really curious or, but how did you, was it talked about? Like, did your moms talk about it with you about being? Yeah. Person? I mean, I, I always say that I, I knew from before I, I mean, I don't remember ever not knowing that I was mm-hmm. donor conceived. Um, and I've asked them to recall those conversations they had with me. And they honestly don't remember because I think it was just so normal. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have books in those days. There were no kind of, this is how we made you books. I mean, they could have made their own, but I think they just kind of thought we'll just go with it. And and I really grew up having no I no questions really. Um, mm-hmm. I I did we did talk about it a lot. We mainly talked about the, the prospect of finding siblings when I was older. Um, my mum was super curious about that. Um, and we spent a lot of time talking about whether 
there were lots of us or, or what they were like or whether they lived near us. Um, but there really wasn't much talk about the donor. Um, occasionally we talked about his profession, um, which I always think is very funny now because my parents were told when they when they chose, well, I say chose the donor in those days, it wasn't quite the same. The, the doctor chose the donor really for mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Um, but when they were given the donor, they were told that he was a street musician in his spare time. Uh-huh. And my, my parents loved this because they're both professional musicians. Uh-huh. Um, so they thought, brilliant, let's let's have a bit of music in there as well. Uh-huh. Um, and they really remembered that and they talked about it a lot. And I know that my mom said when she went to like Covent Garden in London, um, which is where I was conceived, she'd often sort of look out to see if there was someone that looked like me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but then when I did meet my donor 26 years later, um, he turned around and said, no, I've, I've never been a street musician. Oh, no. But his friend that donated at the same time was. <gasps> they kind um, of mixed up. So the anecdotal information was just passed down and mixed up. Along it was the way. mixed up. Um, yeah. It was. <laughs> It really was the wild west of donating back then. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it really, yeah, it was. And that's so, so, but you know, for sure, because you didn't DNA test that it was him. It's just yes, somehow they yeah. mixed up the descriptors of, I wonder if it's yeah. on the other, on the other donor's file. I wonder if it says the traits about your um, donor. That would be interesting. Yeah. yeah. I would be very interested to see what information they held really, because it was so, um, barely any of it was really filed properly or held that way. Um, mm-hmm. Like my my donor got to know the doctor at the clinic very well. So all of it was very pally um, and it was very much word of mouth type thing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really something that was formally written down and handed mm-hmm. over. It's true. Yeah. Mm. And then what did you find out? What does he do for a living? What's his profession? Um, he's now a teacher, which is lovely. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. and I think that if that had been written down, my, my mum would have adored that as well. Um, yeah. So that's quite nice. It's my mum passed away. Uh, my oh. biological mum passed away five years ago. Oh, so um, mm-hmm. all of this journey has been without her, which is a shame. And I know that she mm-hmm. it's nice now because she really would have got on well with my donor. Um, oh. They both listen to Radio 4. They both. Sorry, that's quite mm-hmm. a British thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they both <laughs> like the um, they, they are very intelligent. They both like doing things like crosswords. Um, sorry, that is my dog in the background. No, that's OK. No, I can hear it. No worries. Oh, good. <laughs> um, but no, it's it's nice meeting him now and seeing the bits that would not have been able to have been put in a profile, and yet still knowing that my mum would have picked him. Um, mm, that's really that's... kind of reassuring in a way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. that makes sense. And mm. for you, it's like I can hear the kind of the smile on your face. Like you, mm-hmm. it, for you, it's like to know that they would have gotten along. It probably feels good. It does. Mm-hmm. It's. I mean, it's sort of in reality isn't that important in the end. He's made me already. Um, Mm. And and that bit has been done. But I think just knowing that someone that is so connected to me in that biological way, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. that he would have got on with the person that also made me in that Mm -hmm. biological way. That's that's a big thing that I don't think I ever considered growing up and Mm -hmm. didn't really consider until the last year. Um, Mm -hmm. But knowing that he is the kind of person that would have just existed in my life anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, that's good. I think if we'd met and there was nothing in common and there was sort of, we were from very different walks of life, it would have, it would have not maybe changed our connection, but it would have had that sort of jarring feel to it that I don't know that there was that difference and there wasn't, he wasn't a part of my life in anything, but 
biology. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know really how that would have felt, but I know that it wouldn't have felt like it does now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have had that same kind of warmth to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, how do you feel about it being, since you've got the experience yourself of Mm. being conceived through using a donor and then now your, your child, Birdie is, I love that Mm. name, is, uh, was conceived that way. What unique kind of perspective or message could you share? I think, I think I've realized how important talking about it is. Um, I think too many people are afraid of the stigma or are afraid of people finding it strange or, or sort of finding it weird. I think that people don't like it's not something they discuss with anyone apart from their sort of direct family. But I think all that does is create more hidden depths to it. And mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be like that. It needs to be much more accepted as just a way that people make their family. Um, mm-hmm. And and I very much went into my childhood and my adulthood being like that. I talk about it to everybody. <laughs> I'm I'm really open about it. And I think that that's because I meet too many people in my life that have never heard of it. Mm. And and people that are shocked by it or surprised or they they sort of haven't even considered that that could be how someone makes their family. And I think that shouldn't be the case. I really think it needs to be so normal that by the time Birdie gets to school, it's yeah sure that's you know and Tommy over there has got an egg donorism you know like it should be mm-hmm. that normality it should be just something else it should be just as Birdie's going to be going to school saying I've got two mums the way that she's made shouldn't also be something else that's you know alien yes. um, yeah. and I think people are scared that there's not going to be the same connection as well. I know that a lot of mums go into that if they're not the biological mum. Obviously, I'm coming at it from a donor sperm. I know it's the same with egg donors. Um, mm-hmm. But my wife was really reassured by the fact that she has seen my relationship with my other mum. And we have no shared biology. Um, and they, my parents split when I was eight. Okay. So they she didn't sort of even she wasn't even in my household from the age of eight and yet we have the strongest relationship Mm -hmm. um we talk every day I think I drive her nuts I ring her about absolutely everything (laughs) um she is who I turn to for absolutely everything and um and I think that my wife seeing that from the start of our relationship and knowing how close we are she really didn't have many fears at all going into being the non-biological parent Mm -hmm. um And I think that people are scared that people will meet the donor, that the donor conceived child will meet their donor and that maybe they will lose that connection with the non-biological parent. And that's just not the case. It's, I know when people talk about having a second child, they say that your heart doesn't split in two, it doubles. doubles, Um, and, And that is the case that you're welcoming someone else into your world, into your family and they aren't going to replace anything because there isn't something to replace. They are an entirely different um, person. They are entirely different part of that unit. Um, Mm -hmm. And I introduced my donor and my non-biological mom a few months ago, and it was an incredibly weird experience. I won't (laughs) lie. It was strange. Um, And everyone was nervous. And and yes, it went really well. And I know that I saw my my non-biological mom, she's called Nikki. I saw Nikki Mm -hmm. sit there 
and and she had a strange look on her face and she was looking between the two of us and and when we asked she said it's just that she has spent so many years wondering what he mm. looked like that mm. now he's sat there she's having to kind of resolve all of those thoughts um yeah and and afterwards she said it was weird but she was glad she did it and she said the next time it won't be as weird and hearing her happily say the next time was lovely it was oh, nice yeah, that she nice. wasn't writing it off as all right I've done that I don't want to do it again yeah <laughs> um, but I think that people I've spoken to a lot of people that have used a donor that have expressed to me that they are scared that if their child meets the donor down the line that they won't love them as much now because they've met the person that's given them their DNA and it just doesn't it really it doesn't, doesn't work it like doesn't that. work like that it doesn't even make no. sense it doesn't make sense no, <laughs> yeah. no. I mean I, it really isn't the case but I yeah. think that <laughs> there's more than enough love for us to share and I can I can imagine being in that moment that your mom was in that Nikki was in yeah. where she was looking at that going oh, all this time I've wondered and here's the answer. And there's just something so profound about that, you know, Definitely. and she loves you. And so to see this person, you in this person and this person in you is like, there's a sense of familiarity there. That's just yeah. hard to explain. Yeah. It's yeah, no, the familiarity is, is I think that's the strangest thing really about the whole experience that there is a familiarity that I didn't ever think was the case. I was potentially quite cynical, really. I mm-hmm. think I thought that he was just purely someone that has given me half of my DNA and that was it. Okay. Um, yeah. And I think maybe that was because I grew up thinking I was never going to know him. So there was a part of me that had to become a little bit hardened mm-hmm. um, without sure. even realizing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once I opened my mind to the fact that I could know him, there is a familiarity. And I, he was walking up to the door the first time that he came over and and he just came and gave me a hug and mm. and you just have a, oh yeah, like it feels like you've known him for a while and and not in this big fanfares way of no. like, oh my God, it's you, but just in that kind of, oh, it's you. <laughs> like, exactly. It's, yeah, that's fair enough. That's who I was expecting. And that's, it's kind of, there is a, a recognition there. There is, um, there is a, a recognition. And I think when, you know, lately I've been talking with so many people and really trying to sort out the, the idea that being connected or having a recognizing that familiarity that you just mentioned, or that we talked about Mm -hmm. that somehow that is like perpetuating a heteronormative narrative Mm -hmm. and that it is um, homophobic or um, transphobic and things like that. And, and that is the last thing, you know, would ever want for the message of genetic identity to convey that, that yeah. it has to be that. Cause that is, I, I, and I don't know how to explain it. Maybe you have some words, but I think what you just said kind of made me, that's what led me to that. I was like, well, hmm. maybe that's how we can explain it. It's just like almost like a genetic familiarity that somehow yeah. is, it matters, yeah. but it doesn't have to do with like social parenting or raising a family no. or anything like that. No, exactly. And I think I was listening to one of your episodes the other day and and you'd said that lots of people say that you're only showing the the bad side of it which is yeah. not the case but but I also I think I was never sad about being I'm still not sad about being donor conceived there is not one mm-hmm. part of me 
that regrets how I was made mm -hmm. and and there never will be I am mm -hmm. very happy with the way that my I was raised with two incredibly loving parents mm -hmm. I had everything I needed oh. I was not lacking for anything and yeah. I didn't grow up feeling like I was missing anything yeah there was never that all it is is an addition there is not I've not been missing anything mm -hmm. it's just extra <laughs> that's it and and I think that and I hope my daughter feels the same. And I, I'm going into it knowing that she is her own person and maybe there might be some other feelings there. And I hope I'm prepared for that. Mm -hmm. But but really, I know that I'm. she is not missing anything. She's not lacking a parent there. She has two loving parents. I have two loving parents. Or one loving parent if you've got a single parent by choice, but you have mm -hmm. a unit, you have a family. Mm -hmm. That person that helped make you is just that. They're just an extra person that because of the way your family is created mm -hmm. they happen to be there <laughs> and mm -hmm. and welcoming them in and recognizing that there is going to be a different connection there to mm -hmm. the people that have raised you to the social parents to the people that you've seen every day and that gone to your ballet concerts and that have you know mm -hmm. paid for school meals those people are always going to be completely different to the person that has given you half of your dna mm -hmm. but you can't ignore the fact that there will also be some form of relationship or connection there mm -hmm. it's just knowing that it's not threatening <laughs> yes it's knowing that it yes it will exist whether you ignore it or not or whether you call it something else it's true um, yeah and that tends to be from what I've seen that the the reason a lot of donor conceived people have a lot of anger is because of the fact they've been lied to if they have been lied to and and there's a super easy way of fixing that and it's just never trying to force that relationship into being anything else and never hiding it and not pushing it to the back and hoping your kid doesn't ask about it mm -hmm. because it will there's always going to be a point they do mm -hmm. um and it's if you go into it scared and scared that your child is going to be angry with you or they're going to hate you um it sets up that relationship with this horrible kind of dark cloud over it mm -hmm. um whereas if you're going into it with interest as well and curiosity you you are surprised I think people are surprised by the fact that they can welcome this person in because of who they are and what they've done and it it doesn't take anything away okay. yeah it you can welcome the person in and it doesn't take anything away mm. and I, I think that's a really good way to say it um mm. and you know I think it's certainly as far as you said those who were told late um mm. have added trauma added betrayal and trust and, and issues, um, that are, that they have to work through grief and just identity yeah. disruption and lots of different, different things going on. Um, I know that if, I mean, you know, speaking to so many donor conceived people over the years that they, they do, that there does tend to be a tendency of kind of like, you know, how we like, as people, we like to throw things like in either or categories, mm. <laughs> which we need to, of course, that's the whole goal is to not see things as either or. And so when sometimes parents, when they, they want to, they're hoping for the best. And I understand this and they think, well, if I tell my child early, then my child's not going to be like the donor can see people that are speaking out. They're not going to be angry or they're not going to be as, as yeah. quote unquote bad off. Okay. And that's, I'm putting that in quotes because I don't think for those of you that are donor conceived and listening that you're bad off. I think you're, you know, this, I think that you've you're advocating now and you're making meaning out of your story. And that is healing. That is the, that's the arc of healing. That's how we as humans overcome any kind of story that's been difficult for us, you know, under 
you know, anything under the sun really that is difficult that we've been through, we make meaning out of it often by advocating for others and trying to make a difference in the world. So it's a beautiful thing. So I, this is a long way of saying that just because you tell early doesn't mean that there may not, there could still be ne- some negative feelings oh, um, in adulthood. Yeah. So, so I think there is this idea of some parents will say, oh, if I tell early, it's, you know, I'll, everything will be fine. And Hey, maybe it will be. And, and I, I'm like one to think it's going to be fine anyway. It's just in terms of if you do, even if you go through hard times, even if there's negative feelings, even if there's anger, that doesn't mean you're not going to be fine. Yeah. And it's not a matter of just ticking a box either. I yeah. think a lot of people think that they're, they, they have a checklist of how to do it right. Yeah, and, that's um, true. Yeah, and it really doesn't. I mean, I've been fully aware of the fact that I, I could think I'm doing everything right, but my daughter could have completely opposing views than I do mm-hmm. because a we're 27 years later mm-hmm. um and also and things have changed and also there could be just completely different social factors as she's growing up and I'm not going to be able to predict any of that all I can do is going into it be as prepared as I can and navigate each conversation as it comes up mm-hmm. and um and I think a lot of people I've spoken to think oh well you know you'll be able to handle it I had um the implications counselling before we mm-hmm. use the fertility clinic, and and they ended up using more asking me more questions than I asked I'm them. I'm sure they did, <laughs> um, but I kind of wanted to be like, I still don't really know. I was, I'm still a new parent, or not even a parent. Then I was uh-huh. like, I'm still, I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, yeah. And um, and I think there's been a kind of an assumption that those of us that are dual citizens, or you know, mm-hmm. have both sides of it that we that we know what we're doing but I think in the end I don't think any parent knows what they're doing I think mm-hmm. we hope for the best and we we go into mm-hmm. it as open-minded as we can and mm-hmm. yeah and, and we do our best <laughs> yeah and I now really touch on I I, I I can relate to that too because I was adopted and my daughter we adopted my daughter and I remember going to the adoption agency and I was all you know I had a happy childhood and a happy story mm-hmm. and so I was going in and I was like, okay, adoption. Yay. It's all good. We're so excited. And and the coordinator was like, well, how do you feel, you know, about adoption? I'm like, great. She's like, this is actually our home study. She said, well, you know, she looks at me straight, stern eyes, stern eyebrows. You know, your daughter might not feel the same way about adoption that you do. And I remember it's like, she smacked me in the face. (laughs) And I remember going, what, how dare you, you know? dare you say, but I, I let that sink in. I, I thought about it and I was so glad she said it to me that that straight up, because mm-hmm. as it came as it, as it um, you know, would turn out is that my daughter wasn't happy about, about it at all at first. And we had a trouble in the beginning. So it would have been a real shock to the system that if I thought that it, her adoption story was going to be just like my adoption story and yeah. it was different, you know? they're different. So I love that you said that because it's true. I mean, and that, and so what I do is I talk about distinguishing a kind of us as parents, but from our children, it's so common for us to, I think, put our, our stuff onto our kids. You know, they're, they're little versions of us, or they are going to live vicariously through us. I mean, how many movies are made about that? Um, (laughs) But when we try to not do that, we that's distinguishing. So we're distinguishing their story and our story are very different and, you know, honoring that difference. So yeah, that's, I love that you said that. Um, so how then, and then you don't have to share if you don't want to, but then did you use an, you used identity release at 18. Is there, will you think about pursuing content before that, or is that not something you're able to do or how does it work in the, 
with you we um we go back and forth I'll be honest Mm -hmm. um when we initially were going to start our parenting journey we were looking at cryos the sperm bank in Denmark um and that was a very different approach we were looking we could look at baby photos we could look at you know it was a lot more familiar and um and I loved that and I was very invested in it and we found out just before we started that the laws had changed in the UK and they will no longer ship sperm to a home address. So we weren't able to do home insemination, which had been our plan for years. Um, and we were gutted and sort of overnight our plans changed. So we booked him with a clinic and we found that that clinic wouldn't accept sperm anywhere apart from their bank. So again, everything changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and we ended up looking, we looked at their profiles and, um, it didn't take very long until we found a donor that we really liked. And he'd mentioned in his profile that he specifically wanted to help LGBT couples. That was mm. really important to me. I wanted yeah. to know the donor was going to be, you know, wasn't going to be homophobic or wasn't going to be going. We weren't going to find him when Birdie was 18 and he was going to be this sort of closed minded human being. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and we kind of started to come around to the idea of using a donor from this bank. Um, and I sat with the idea of, bringing my daughter into a world where she again wasn't going to know her donor until 18 um Mm -hmm. and and I think that the more I thought about it the more I thought that I was knowing that there was going to be that chance at 18 was enough for me then um and then after finding my donor purely by chance after she was born um I thought more about it again and I think that we will probably keep coming back to the idea of, of looking earlier because I don't like my daughter not having the option. I think that's something that I, I worry about. I worry that she is going to be kind of held back from finding mm-hmm. half of her DNA until she's an adult. When I know that as a teenager, I was ready then if that had been my option. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But I really don't like the idea of sending her DNA off um when she is a child I know that a lot of people do and I've had conversations with people that have done it for their children when they've been very young um but there are so many (laughs) issues there that I think worry me um Mm -hmm. I don't like the idea of doing it without her consent I don't think she can consent until a certain point um and I think even as a teenager I know I happily said yes to many things as a teenager that I shouldn't have um Mm -hmm. and I think that that would really scare me of making a decision there that she couldn't herself legally. Um, And then there is also the fear of what if we find the donor by chance too young and he isn't happy about the fact that we have broken the, the, the legal sort of side of things that we signed at the clinic um, saying that he wouldn't be found until she was 18. Um, Yeah. It's really something that we have not settled on. (laughs) Yeah. Did you watch our live on Instagram about it? Um, no, I didn't. It's something I meant to watch before speaking to you, but no, I haven't yet. <laughs> um, it's funny because we address those exact two things that yeah. you said. Yeah. And I'll, have to, I'll definitely have to give that a watch because <laughs> it's, um, I wish that I was sort of comfortable settling on one decision, but but I think it's going to be something that we we ricochet back and to yeah. one <laughs> while she's well, little. Yeah. And well, what you'll see is I, at the end, I said, I, this is, it's a complex decision. It's not an easy answer. So I had to make a decision tree. So I made like this entire, like, okay, if this, then this, you know, Mm. and one of the things in the decision tree, which I'm still tweaking and trying to refine it just to be sure I haven't 
forgotten anything. So I'm at having people look at it, um, that I haven't left anything out is that if you can connect, if, if you, if you don't feel like you do about putting your DNA out there, if there's a way, if there are other ways to find biological um, relatives. And one way is half siblings or siblings, depending on mm-hmm. what you uh, call them. So has that something, do you have an avenue there you could pursue? Yeah. I mean, again, in the, in the UK, that's not something that we can, you can apply for information about her half siblings at any point. Um, so we could apply now and find out if she has any yet. Um, but all we would get back is the year they were born and their gender. Um, and it would only be again, when she's 18, she could sign up to the same thing that I've signed up to, which is the donor sibling link. Um, and she would then be told if there are any matches, if any of her siblings have signed up. Mm-hmm. Um, but something that I've sort of been interested in is the fact that people are starting kind of um, very informal, but like on Facebook, they're using the donor number um, mm-hmm. and finding anyone there that's used that donor number. Um, they're using the donor sibling registry. Um, and so there are definitely ways of doing that earlier. Um, and me and my wife, again, have sort of said, I think we'll keep checking in. But if she started asking questions, we want to be prepared to help her look when she's younger um, mm-hmm. in ways that aren't potentially submitting a DNA. But like you say, there are definitely other ways out there. Um, and so we've already I've put her donor number on the donor sibling registry to see if anyone had used the same. And they haven't yet. But she mm-hmm. was the first we were the first couple I think to have a successful pregnancy using this donor so okay. we were so aware that that could be a little bit um but yeah I think siblings is something that I'm much more interested in searching for with her um mm-hmm. from a younger age because I know that I grew up again I'm p- potentially projecting my own experiences <laughs> onto her but um mm-hmm. but I grew up knowing it, it almost felt like a slightly um less intense um version of finding your the other half of you the other Mm -hmm. side of your dna um less Mm -hmm. intense than finding the donor but still having some answers there and really all i was curious growing up was whether they looked like me i didn't really have any other questions um Mm -hmm. purely Mm -hmm. wanted to know if there were people out there walking around that looked like me and my Mm -hmm. sister yeah Uh, yeah that was it yeah is I'll be honest at 27 that's my main thing whenever we mm-hmm. find a new sibling um it tends to be oh do they look like me mm-hmm. um that's definitely a priority I don't know why it must be it's... something to do with how we see ourselves and yes and see ourselves reflected yeah. yes see ourselves reflected and just maybe the variation of genetic expression too that mm. can come from from gene, similar genes and DNA it's it is it is really fascinating and I I can I can relate to that too and I think a lot of people I think DCPs would tell some would fall, definitely fall into that category. Like you, you're not alone. Um, mm, yeah. And that, but then there are, are others that want to know more and maybe you want to have a relationship. So there's so many different um, stories and perspectives out there. Definitely, um, yeah. And that's why I did this podcast is so I can talk to lots of people and get lots of different perspectives about, you know, at different stages of mm. their life too, about being, about experiencing a family through donor conception. Um, what did you mention at the beginning? Did you, did you carry Birdie? I did. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I'm the, I'm the biological uh, parent of Birdie. Yeah. So you didn't do a reciprocal IVF? We didn't know. We, we talked about it. Um, 
but very briefly, to be honest, I think my we we had always for years said that we'd take it in turns um, carrying. And then as we sort of settled into our relationship and my wife is quite, um, she's not butch, <laughs> but she's butcher than me. Um, and she had no real interest in being pregnant. She she really could not picture it. Um, mm-hmm. And so it became a, yeah, it will be me. And then we had the conversation of, well, if you're not going to carry, do you want it to be your egg? Um, and I think when we looked into it and we started, well, we'd originally wanted to do home insemination. We wanted to keep it as, less clinical as possible um and that obviously wouldn't allow for reciprocal IVF that way but when we knew we'd have to go through a clinic we still said we wanted to keep it as as less clinical I'm sure there's a better term there um (laughs) as natural I guess Mm -hmm. as possible um and so we knew we'd go through IUI really if we could and I Mm -hmm. said to her well is that going to upset you there is Mm -hmm. you know you're you're not a part you know in uh in oh my god inverted commas that's the word I'm looking for um you're not a, a part of the child that we're making like genetically yeah yeah and um mm-hmm. and she said really she's like again she's seen the relationship that I have with Nikki and she said I don't I don't think I need to be any part of that process to feel a connection to our child and um and she's like I don't want us to put ourselves through the the needles and the you know egg retrievals that comes with IVF um She's like, I think that that would be, it wasn't what we needed really as a family. Um, Mm -hmm. And occasionally we talk about it again. And she still says she's the second birdie was born. She was hers. That was, she Mm -hmm. didn't feel there was any moment where she was lacking in that, that there wasn't, they didn't have the same connection that me and birdie have. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, it sort of ended up being very much a, no, we don't, we don't need that. I know some couples, I actually, many of my friends have gone down that route, um, and, and I think it's fascinating. I love learning about it. I love seeing the sort of the fact that someone it can connect to their child being pregnant, even though there is no genetic sort of bond there. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's super interesting. But I think that we we quite quickly decided that that wasn't what we wanted, really. OK, yeah. And, and so far, she's feeling not feeling left out. No, no. Good. Um, Good. No, definitely not. I think um, the, the potentially occasionally I say to her, like, well, do you feel left out because I still breastfeed um, Birdie's mm-hmm. 14 months? And so Birdie will often come to me for comfort purely because at the moment she is a boob monster. And just, <laughs> um, but she jokes that she says, well, actually, Birdie doesn't want you. She just wants the boobs. And I'm like, well, that's <laughs> so, um, so no, I think that that no I think she's she's able to settle her at bedtime as much as I can they have their own little days when I'm at work um and no I think they have a really they've had a special connection from very young age I think Hannah was the first one to make her laugh um mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it was it, it really didn't and actually she was the spitting image of Hannah my wife when she was born everyone said it oh, um wow. didn't look anything like me until maybe two months ago <laughs> oh how how is that's amazing it yeah. is amazing. I think I think genetics like that are fascinating. Well, we chose a blue-eyed donor, mm-hmm. and I have dark brown hair and dark brown eyes, but Hannah has very blue eyes, very very blue eyes. So we said, well, we we would love if that was you know something that could be passed down, mm-hmm. um, and we chose a blonde-haired, blue-eyed donor purely because we wanted that very blue eyes. And Birdie has dark hair and very blue eyes, mm. so she is the, very much in that aspect the spitting image of Hannah. Yeah. Um, 
it's very sweet seeing them next to each other. They they look really, I think most people assume actually that she was from Hannah's Egg. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's really cool. So <laughs> tell me about your your book that you're writing. I just learned about this this morning. <laughs> yeah. If you want to, if you want to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm not very good at promoting myself, but I am trying. <laughs> <laughs> I I it was probably when I started to connect with my donor that I thought I need to start writing some of this down just purely for my own memories really um and I've always turned to writing as a way of processing things as well um and then I kept writing and then I kept writing and I started looking into laws and how they changed and the kind of contrast between how like things like the HFEA had existed when I was born and how it does now um and and I started thinking, this is this is interesting. And there were definitely books out there. Don't, there are some really brilliant books out there talking about like donor conception and talking about using donor sperm. But mm-hmm. I hadn't yet really found one of the, I wanted one that I could have read when pregnant that was a bit more, it wasn't sort of throwing facts at you and throwing research. It was mm-hmm. more of a memoir style Mm-hmm. nonfiction book where someone was actually just talking about their own lived experience mm-hmm. um but also charting how things have changed and and mm-hmm. talking about moral changes I find it really interesting looking into things like private donors on Facebook and stuff like that mm-hmm. um and the more I looked into it the more I spoke to people loads of people really didn't know any of it um mm-hmm. and it was an entirely new world for them so I thought actually even more so not just for people going through it I want to have a book that I could hand to family members of people going through it and and say, look, this is what they're experiencing and this is this is the world that they are in now. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it just kind of it became a way of me processing everything. Um, and I started thinking that I could turn it into something real and not just something for me. Um, mm-hmm. So that is the goal. But um, yeah. <laughs> It's I'm, I'm fully aware that trying to get a book published isn't um well you have of course <laughs> well I self-published but yeah that's... yeah well I think that that might end up being the way I go um yeah. and it's been quite interesting looking into that as an actual real goal actually which has always been mm-hmm. a goal of mine I think when I was a kid everyone said I'd have a book published but they definitely thought it would be about pirates or something when I was young. <laughs> um, but um, but no, it's it's given me an interesting purpose. Actually, it's something I didn't expect to go down that path of. But um, yeah, but really interesting. That is, yeah, it's, I, it's just I love to see so many more resources coming out. So mm-hmm. and I'm happy to talk to you about self publishing and give you any tips on that too. So amazing, it's, yes. it's just a learning <laughs> steep learning curve. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah. So anything else that you would want to share about, you know, yeah, your message or, you know, a message to donor conceived people or to parents through that have donor conceived kids or. I think something that I've definitely been thinking about more recently, um, is the fact that I think people potentially maybe expect that once they've conceived a child using a donor, um, that there are certain bits that I don't know it's again like that tick list so there's experiences so they've used the donor and then there's finding the donor and then there's finding siblings but actually it's 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 a lifelong journey it isn't ever going to be something that is over by a certain point even if you used a donor that was known or even if you you know there was the identity at 18 and and it was almost I think people think 
they hit 18, they find the donor and that is that done. Um, but, but I know that it's, it kind of is never ending, <laughs> not in a sort of crazy way, but in, I'm still getting, I got an email uh, two weeks ago from the HFEA saying, well, asking me to call them, which sent me into a tailspin of panic because I couldn't decide if it was about me or about Birdie um, mm. because they did mm-hmm. not specify an email. Mm. Um, so I rang them and they said, oh, you've got another sibling that has signed up. And I had not expected to find any more. That was that was me done, really. <laughs> I thought I had signed up when I was 18. Um, my mom had been really interested in that. So she I think she'd signed me up for me. Mm-hmm. Um and I was one of the eldest. We knew that because we'd had a letter sent with all the dates that um, siblings were conceived. There were 13 of us, mm-hmm. um, ranging from 1994, which is when I was born, to 1998, which is when my sister was born. Um, mm-hmm. My parents used the same donor to conceive her. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we found, well, when we signed up, no one else had. And we kind of knew that was probably a possibility because I was the only one that was 18 um and then we left it a bit and we left it a bit and I think after a while I thought potentially my mom hadn't actually done it because I'd never got any emails um Mm -hmm. and and then we suddenly god however many years later um well I was 21 22 and we got an email saying there's been a match um and we were given the details of one sibling who turned out to have another full sibling same as I have my sister so suddenly overnight we had two siblings um Mm. And then we thought, brilliant, we found them, we met up, we formed a relationship, we have a good relationship with them. And then we forgot about it. And then I get this other email again. And yet again, it's saying you have a sibling. And then we meet them. And actually, we've got two because he had a full sibling as well that hadn't signed up. Um, So again, now suddenly we've gone from two to four to six. Mm -hmm. So and there's still six out there. And we kind of no or seven even um we know that that's just going to be an ongoing process for us and mm-hmm. and it's weird we were talking about it I was talking about it with my half sister and we were saying this is just going to be our life really you know every few years we might get an email and mm-hmm. and it's it there is really unless we find all of them in the next few years it is going to be a long process um because you think that you're never going to and then this one has popped up all of a sudden mm-hmm. so it's it is it's it's something that you think you kind of will get used to really, but I will never get used to being told I have a sibling there that is ready to give me their email address and add me on right. Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that you didn't know before. And it's true. It is a lifelong decision and it impacts yeah. you across the lifespan. So yeah. yeah, it is so true, but that mm-hmm. is, wow. I mean, and just all the feelings that come with it too, you know, like yeah. you said, you kind of connect it first and you like each other and then you kind of go about your business and maybe life returns to normal and don't have as much contact again. Yeah. But then to get that message again, you know, yeah, all over again. I really thought that it would be kind of easier as such the second time around, not, it wasn't hard, but um, less intense, I guess. And I, I was thinking that I was, I was a pro at this now, you know, we'll go into it and meet someone new and we'll add him to our little strange bunch. Um, and then you start talking to them and, and we added him on Facebook. Actually, no, we didn't. I got given his full name um, and 
I went to try and find him on Facebook because it is the 21st century. That's how we do things now. <laughs> um, and annoyingly, he had quite a normal name. So I was scrolling <laughs> through Facebook thinking, oh, God, there's loads of them. I'm never going to find him. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I couldn't just wait for him to email back, but that's not how we do things. Yeah. Uh, and and then I clicked on one profile purely by chance and the picture was the absolute spitting image of our donor but just however many years younger but it was oh, fascinating wow. I just saw this picture I was like oh my god it's it was mm-hmm. I laughed out loud I think I literally sat there going oh my goodness <laughs> uh, and, and I just thought yep it's never going to get any less bizarre and amazing and you kind of just want to scream it I think I wanted to tell everybody I knew in about five seconds I wanted to send this to everyone I knew saying oh my Uh god look at reality no one else really cared that much but I wanted to be like holy shit look he's got his ears look yeah (laughs) Yeah. I know it's mind-blowing it's it really is it's I know. I mean, I can get excited for you because I know how that feels and (laughs) it's just hard to put into words yeah it is it really is Mm -hmm. and I don't think it will ever get any harder to put into words (laughs) any less hard any easier right any easier so well that's exciting for you and also like since you've been through that you can you have some experience for your for Birdie if she you know for the day that she has half siblings or siblings and and maybe goes through that journey and I feel mm -hmm. like I'm glad I'm prepared for really um and even meeting my donor I didn't think I'd be able to relate to her with that and I now can Mm-hmm. um I'm just glad to have that kind of yeah that's something there or even just growing up I can talk to her and say well you know how your auntie uncle whatever um and that's how I found them and that's how that you may find your half siblings and stuff like that um I think it's nice for her to be able to see those relationships exist and all the strange I've got a full sibling I've got a half sibling I've got step siblings being mm-hmm. able to see all of that you know, mm-hmm. there is no one simple family, um, yeah. but she yeah. will know very much so that that is just how our family exists. So there won't mm-hmm. be any weirdness in it. And yeah, we've got all the books and all the things you can mm-hmm. read to her, but actually there are nothing beats just being able to show that that's our family, really. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. I'm very glad she has that growing up. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Again, like you have such a unique perspective and you are, um, and, and I think that that helps with understanding Mm -hmm. Um, definitely yeah always welcome to reach out very happy to talk (laughs) thanks for listening if you would like to follow for more content you can go to my instagram and facebook account at Jana Repnow lpc or follow three makes baby on instagram you can get a copy of my book and the companion workbook to three makes baby on amazon If you like this podcast, be sure to like and subscribe. Have a great day.